Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Acts chapter 27. How does he help me in my storms? Have you ever asked that before? I don't see him. How does the help come? And the image is a nautical one and it has the idea of this. When you come to the throne of grace, Jesus will run the cables of his presence along the whole of the ship, if you will, and stabilize you in the storm. Now you say, that sounds good. And maybe that even worked for the Apostle Paul, but what about my storm right now? In the front row was a lady, precious lady, just about an hour ago, you guys who's been battling cancer. She was overhearing this conversation. And so we migrated our way over to this sweet lady who's been uh, missing church and she's been going through her own health challenges. And this woman uh, shared the story and they were both in awe that it was a year to to the day. And that lady prayed for that other lady better than I ever could have prayed. I was just along for the ride. And we were just in awe of God. And she said, I can't even explain it, Pastor Michael, but this is what God gave me. And when you were preaching this today, I looked in my Bible, I saw that date, and I went, oh my goodness. Look at what our God does. And you see, it wasn't just about her. It was about her family. It was about this other lady. And I'm sure even wider. Now it's about all of us hearing her story. See, God does work in the midst of the storm. And so they're being driven along and Jesus is this hope for us. It says he is able to come to the aid. He's able to stabilize us in our storms when we're tempted. What was Jesus' greatest temptation, Bible students? I think it is safe to say his greatest temptation happened in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was recoiling from the cross and he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He prayed it three times. Even Luke tells us it's possible one interpretation of the text is that he was so intense and so struggling with the agony and the shadow of the cross, he bled out of his sweat glands from tension and pressure. And the olive press was coming down upon him and God answered the prayer by saying, no, there is no other way. And Jesus responded, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is the high priest we come to. Now the second use of this word, Hebrews 4, turn there for a second, is found just a couple chapters later. It's talking about our great high priest and it says this, these words, this is verse 14, Hebrews 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in all things as we, yet without sin. In light of this truth, let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of what? Of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace, here's the word again, to help. That phrase is the same nautical word for frapping in our time of need. How does he stabilize us? I've noticed over the years, And even though I pray this way, God removed the storm. He seems to rarely remove the storm, at least not quickly, but he comes to stabilize me in the storm. And that dear sister at the previous service said, that is exactly what he did for me. 
He stabilized me in the storm. He came into the fire like Jesus did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he was a presence in the fire. And finally, when they were delivered, the only thing that was burned off of them was the ropes that held them. You see, Jesus enters into our storms and he can sympathize and empathize with us because he's not only 100% God, he's 100% human. He knows. As a matter of fact, when you pray to Jesus, when you come to the dispenser of grace in Hebrews chapter 4, you come to a man, the God-man, but you come to a, a man He's 100% man and 100% God. And when you come to him and you say, man, Lord, I don't know if I want to come again. I've been real whiny lately. Even my friends are telling me. Jesus says, no, you tell me. And I'll dispense grace to you because I can sympathize. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be uh, turned on by a friend and denied by others and, and to experience the darkness of sin, though you were perfectly innocent. I know I know what storms are like. You come to me. And I think that's the promise that we have in Hebrews 2 and 4. Now back to the book of Acts, if you would. So the drama in the account continues as the storm begins to rage. And let's pick up the account now in verse 18 of Acts 27. The next day as we were being violently storm-tossed, you might be thinking, this perfectly describes my life right now. My life is storm-tossed. They began to jettison. The word means casting out or throwing overboard the cargo. Another practical point for you note-takers. Have you noticed that storms can really simplify what's important in life? Have you ever noticed that when you're in a storm, you start to focus on the things that are really important like God and your family and maybe even your faith and church family? You begin to jettison things that don't really matter and maybe even cargo that's been weighing you down and maybe even cargo that's part of the reason for the storm. Hebrews 12 says, let us cast off the sins that so easily entangle us, the weights that hold us down that maybe we're not moving along in the water as good as we could. And sometimes the storm comes and the Lord says, do you need that? And you say, no, I've been holding on to that and that's taken my focus off of you. It's taken my focus off of my loved ones. That's going. And you begin to simplify things in your life. And on the third day, verse 19, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small storm was assailing us, says Luke, which means a big one, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. Everybody on the vessel, excluding maybe a few, including Paul, was losing hope. They were saying things like this, it's over, there's no sun, there's no stars, there's no means of navigation, game over, we're done. This weird sea god has taken us down and up and down the waves they went, going up and down, barreling down. And you know when the waters are not so smooth on a ship... I don't know if you've ever been there before, but I'm sure aboard a ship like this, things were not pretty. I'm sure people were losing their lunch, losing their faith. It was a very difficult moment. Everybody was abandoning hope, and when you lose hope, it's been said you lose everything. So when they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up in their midst and he said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice. And not to have set sail from Crete 
and incurred this damage and loss. And you could just put in the Greek, it means, I told you so. I told you. Isn't it wonderful when we can do that? Don't you just love moments when you can say to someone, didn't I? We always like to do this with our kids too. Didn't I tell you this was going to happen, right? Right again. Now, Paul doesn't end with just uh, exhortation. He says, and this is where we need to balance it. He says, yet now I urge you to keep up your courage. For there shall be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I, I belong, the one I'm anchored to, and whom I serve, stood before me. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. The God to whom I'm anchored, the God whom I serve, he confirmed a word that he had personally said to me in Acts 23, 11, as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, you will testify in Rome. I'm going to Rome and nothing's going to stop it. I believe God and he confirmed it to me and the angel even said that he has granted you the passengers as well. All that are sailing with you, he has given to you, verse 24. And that implies to us, brothers and sisters, that Paul was praying for everybody on the ship. I think you'll notice something about storms in your life. Storms tend to widen out your prayers. Have you ever looked back and you, you find yourself in a storm and maybe God's dealing with your heart and you start to look at your prayer life in the last six months. It's been focused on one thing or one person. Me, myself, and I. And then all of a sudden you go into some storm waters and God begins to teach you some things about faith. And you say, you know what? There's another person I know firsthand, a friend of mine, a brother or sister in Christ, and they're going through a similar storm right now. Maybe, just maybe, I should pray for them. Maybe I need to widen out my prayer list. Maybe part of what God's trying to say in the storm is there's other people going through this too and they may not have told you but they're going through some depression and they're going through some struggles and maybe I've stirred up the water a little bit to get you to communicate with each other a little bit so you might pray for each other because there's an enemy on the prowl and he wants to rip away your faith and rob you of the promises and that's when you have to stand together. Amen? That's when you have to stand tall and even rise above the storm. And Paul says, I've gotten confirmation and therefore, 25, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God. Some of you need to mark that, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. I believe God's promises, that they will happen exactly as God has said. Some of you have people who are sick in your life. Some of you have just lost a loved one and you're wondering, is there a heaven? Is this stuff in the Bible really true? And Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. The Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. And Paul says, I believe that everything's going to turn out exactly as God has said. And Of course, you can see the implication for us. Do we? Do I? Sometimes, you know, I'm in a storm and I wonder if I've ever read a Bible verse. I I wonder why I don't go quickly to my knees or to my Bible. It's easy to mishandle storms. But Paul says these words not before a storm or after looking back 
on a storm. He says these words right in the midst of the storm. It's easy to pontificate when we're not going through something. Let's all be honest. It's easy to make our commentaries and quote our verses. But Paul's saying this while the ship is going up and down and everybody around him has pretty much lost hope. And what if Paul wasn't on the ship? How would that have changed things? You know, sometimes it takes one person who's willing to stand upon their faith to change maybe a whole shipload of people. To change their uh, view of life and what's really going on in God's promises. Paul Claudel said, Christ did not come to do away with suffering. He did not come to fully explain it. He came to fill it with his presence. But there's always a but. (laughs) And here it is, verse 26. But we must run aground on a certain island. Paul says, we're going to be saved, but the ship, it ain't looking so good. But we're going to be saved. And when the 14th night had come and we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, this is a reference in Paul's day to the central Mediterranean. About midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. They may have heard some waves hitting the beach. And they took soundings. This is using a weight attached to a length of rope to uh, get the depth. And they found it to be about 20 fathoms or 120 feet. And a little farther on, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms or 90 feet deep. And fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. And the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow. Some of the people got together and said, hey, we'll pretend like we're putting the little rowboat down at the back of the ship. And uh, well, actually, that we're putting anchors down and we'll take the little rowboat and we'll get out of here. We'll get away from this stuff. We'll escape. But Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. The Bible says, unless you are in the ark of Christ, you cannot be saved. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You must stay in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you're secure. I don't think you're going anywhere, but sometimes we do try to run and all of that. But Paul says, look, you've got to stay in the boat. And so do they believe it? Well, the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat. That's an act of faith. And they let it fall away. And until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food. Very practical. He said, today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating. I've been taking nothing. Maybe a bit of a forced fast. Maybe people just couldn't stomach eating or maybe they were fasting and crying out to different gods. And Paul said, therefore I encourage you to take some food. For this is for your preservation. Listen to Paul. For not a hair from the head of any of you shall perish. You know, Jesus said to this, this to his apostles. He said, even if they persecute you and martyr you, not one hair on your head is going to perish. And some men in the second service who were a little shiny on top, were, amen, amen, not one hair, because we believe we're going to get a new do with the resurrected body. So if you've been losing some hair, we're going to point, out, point you out personally right now. But if you've been losing some, there's hope that that hairdo's coming back, baby. It's going to be good. Anyway, And having said this, 35, Paul took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it, and he began to eat. Now this almost sounds like communion, doesn't it? He took some bread and he broke it, but there's 
probably not a lot of Christians on the boat, maybe just Luke and Aristarchus, maybe a few others, but I don't think it's communion. I think he's just doing the common thing of breaking bread like the Jews would do and praying grace or a grace prayer before the meal. And he prayed it in front of everybody. Have you ever been tempted in life not to say grace when you're in the company of a bunch of pagan people? Hardened sailors, uh, soldiers, centurions. And Paul says, hey, before we eat this bread, we're going to pray. You think everybody was listening to Paul by now? I think so. You ever been there at a family meal? Some people are not Christians. They don't want prayer to happen. All right, Holy Joe. Get it over with. Let's pray. That's when you give the little kid the opportunity to pray. Little Christian kid. God, I thank you for our forks and our napkins and the sauce. And they'll just go on for days. And it's wonderful. (laughs) It's great. And so Paul broke the bread. And he said grace. You know, we sit over a lot of meals as Americans, don't we? And we could be real quick to break into that meal and not remember, you know what? We are very blessed people. Man, we better pause and give thanks to God. And all of them were encouraged. One man's faith changed the attitude of many. Faith and confidence are infectious. And they themselves also took food. Sometimes we can be uh, amidst a bunch of Christians and everybody's down and everybody thinks that all hope is lost. Think of after Jesus died and the apostles. I mean, everybody was in a downer. And it was the women who came and said, you know, he's alive. And they wouldn't believe. Sometimes we need to ask God, Lord, increase my faith for others as well. And they took food. And all of us in the ship were 276 persons. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea so it could ride higher. They got rid of the food. And when, when day came, 39, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a certain bay with a beach. And they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. Today, the traditional site is known as St. Paul's Bay in Malta. You can look it up on the internet and see where they think it is. And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea while the, at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind, they were heading for the beach. But striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground and the prow or the ship's bow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern or the front began to be broken up by the force of the waves, 42. And the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners that none of them should swim away and escape because if you lost a prisoner, you would suffer their uh, sentence. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, and here's God's providence and protection, kept them from their intention and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest should follow, some on planks and others on various things from the ship. And thus it happened that they all were brought safely to land. People were hugging different broken pieces of the ship. People were swimming for the shore and everybody came safely into the harbor. And I'm sure they probably looked at Paul and said, can you tell me a little bit more about this God that you serve? This God that sends angelic visitors aboard ships that seem to be doomed? This God who has has reiterated promises to you that you stand upon like you know they're real? Who is this God? And I'm sure Paul earn their right to be heard. And we'll see next week on the island of Malta, even the islanders are going to interact with Paul. And I wonder how many people came to Christ as a result of a storm 
in a shipwreck. You see, Paul was going to Rome. Turn back to the book of Hebrews. We'll go to Hebrews and 2 Timothy and we're done. Paul was going to Rome, but how he was going to Rome and the stops along the way was under God's providential hand. So we may be going somewhere. And we may be thinking, you know what, God? Okay, you've made this clear to me, but how you get there and what stops come along the way are in God's providential hand. But what's God's intention? If you get blown off course or something happens, I'm sure that he wants to redeem it for your good and for his glory. And so this is Hebrews 6. Look at verse 16. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. So this is what men do. They swear above themselves. Hebrews 6.17. In the same way God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed it with an oath. He swore by himself. In order that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement. We who have fled for refuge in laying hold of the hope set before us, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. A few books back to 2 Timothy 4 and we're done. In the Christian catacombs, they have found many frescoes or paintings on the walls. This is where Christians were often waiting to die and they found well over 60 paintings, not of crosses, but of anchors. The anchor was the ancient image of the church for hope because they knew that even though they were facing their ultimate storm, Jesus Christ would be the anchor in the storm. And then eventually the anchor actually was combined with a cross. And the anchor means hope. He will steady us in the storm. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul writes in his final words that he ever wrote, verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Father, thank you so much for Jesus Christ, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, he is Lord of all. My hope enters within the veil where Jesus is. My hope is not an anchor. My hope is Christ. He is my anchor. He has finished the work, died on the cross, risen from the dead, and sits at the right hand of God, ever living to intercede. Amazing, amazing truth for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your stabilizing presence in our storms. We don't understand every angle of them, but we do know you can exploit them. And I pray that you would bless this precious congregation, those who are going through their personal storms right now, that you would strengthen them with your sweet presence, Lord. Father, I pray you'd protect this group from the enemy who would whisper doubt and fear into our ears 
Help us to put on the full armor of God and stand against his schemes. If you're here and you don't know Christ, run to him. Run to that anchor. Because if you don't have him, you don't have stability. It's something like this. Jesus, pray it out loud if it's you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. I repent of my sin and trust in you. Lord, maybe some are recommitting right now. I pray you'd bless them. And for all the the people who are here, the precious ones, the beloved of God, may you strengthen them, Lord, in every way that they need it. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. And Paul did warn the people. He said, look, verse 31, chapter 27, unless these men remain on the ship, you can't be saved. Look, you know, there's a way to be saved. The Philippian jailer in Acts 16, we've already looked at the story, but he said, what must I do to be saved? And the response was, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. In the Bible, Jesus becomes, he's typified, if you will, in the ark. Jesus Christ is our ark in the storm. Look, in this world, there's going to be storm waters. You're going to be storm tossed. Maybe even the things that you trusted in are falling apart. Maybe for you, this chapter resonates because your ship, your life is falling apart. Things that you thought were so trustworthy are, are not holding up anymore. And you need an anchor in the storm. And here's the beauty of Christ. He is that. In fact, in Hebrews 4, when he's pictured and he is at this throne of grace and he offers us help, the image here is that he will stabilize us in the storm. And this is what Jesus does. And sometimes, my friend, my brother, my sister, it's in the storm that faith is either born. You know, sometimes we say faith is born in the cauldron of adversity in the storm. But faith is also deepened in the storm. It can be challenged, no doubt, in the storm. But ultimately, it can be strengthened in the storm. Hold on to him because he's not going to let you go. But look, if you're not a believer right now and you're in storm-tossed waters, maybe it's God saying, look, I'm throwing you a lifeline right now. The lifeline is the gospel. The lifeline is the hope of my son dying on the cross for you, rising from the dead. It's true. Jesus Christ is true. He is the anchor. And maybe you're in a storm right now. If you are, would you trust in him today? Would you let him be that anchor in the storm? How do you make that official? It's very simple. If you're in a storm right now and you just want to trust in Jesus Christ, cry out to him. It's something like this. If you're driving, just keep your eyes open. You might want to pull over to the side of the road safely and Pray something like this, Lord Jesus Christ, would you come into my life? I believe what I heard today was uh, something that you ordained for me to hear. I'm in a storm. I feel alone and broken. Maybe you're even a person who's considered suicide. Tell the Lord that he already knows your heart. Lord, would you be my anchor? I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead, and I repent of my sins, and I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I want to follow you, Lord. Cry out to him, my friend. He's just a prayer away. He had you listen for a reason today. And if you're storm-tossed and broken, he's ready. He's ready to stabilize you in that storm. And he'll lift the burden of your sin and he'll give you a new start. It doesn't mean that all the storm waters will go away, but it does mean that 
you'll have Jesus on your ship. (laughs) And that makes all the difference.